You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Joanne Wilson. She is founder and CEO at Gotham NYC, one of the first New York-based dispensaries. Really excited to have this conversation. New York obviously has been a market that's been waiting for quite some time. We're still kind of waiting at some level for a lot of things to kind of play out. But Joanne and her team have um, you know, been working hard on actually getting cannabis into the market and getting dispensaries up and running. So I'm curious both about the process and what she's learned and kind of how that's all played out and also where it's, what's happening today and where things are going. Obviously, New York is a fascinating, big market. It's really, I think, going to change the scene or change the whole dynamics of cannabis in the U.S. And curious where it's going, how it's been working out, what we're learning in the process. So with all that, Joanne, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So before we dive into everything going on today, I would love to get a little background, kind of hear a little bit of your story. How did you get into business? How did you get into cannabis? Give us the journey that you've been on. Yeah, I mean, this is not my first rodeo in terms of my (laughs) career. and. I mean, I think just like many others that during COVID, people started to rethink like, what's going to happen next? What's my life going to be like? And for me, I had really started that journey pre-COVID about what do I want to do next? And Mm -hmm. I always had a desire to open up a store as I was seeing all the stores in New York that I love to shop in close and rethinking Mm -hmm. about what retail is going to look like at ground level in urban areas. And at the same time, this cannabis started to happen. And I was like, you know what? Considering I've been getting stoned pretty much every day since eighth grade, that would be a really great thing to put them together. I know this product. Yes, I know this product well. <laughs> yeah. I guess, what are some of the things that you've had a lot of kind of professional experience in many different businesses and stuff? What are the things you feel like you've been able to kind of take from those previous experiences and really apply to cannabis? Which ones do you feel like you thought you were going to be able to apply and it turns out it didn't quite work that way? And what have you had to learn about cannabis as you actually got into the business side? That's a great question. Listen, application of past learned experiences has been phenomenal, right? So that is anything from marketing to making sure that when you realize something isn't going well, you immediately change. Or you see that in an industry where it's moving so quickly, it is about first to market, that someone isn't right for the team, you cut it off immediately. I mean, those are things that I have learned over the years that I have watched from afar that is just painful to watch, you know, money going down the drain, destroying your culture, all those kind of things. So all those things have been epic. I think the hardest thing in this kind of sums it up is we are talking about an ability to create something in different locations over the summer. And it's like, sure, we could do all these things. We have the team to do it. We have the creativity to do it. But we're also dealing with a highly regulated product. And so how do you get around those things that makes the state feel comfortable, but you can still make money doing it? Yeah. I mean, I guess in terms of where we are in New York, I mean, give us a sense on your kind of 
assessment of the New York regulatory framework and how that compares to other states? I guess, how much did you look at other states and kind of evaluate New York and saying, yeah, this is a good framework, this is going to be more successful or where the challenges are? I'm kind of curious on how you see New York inside this kind of broader you know, other states that have been doing this and what we're learning and what we're not learning in the process? You know, I'm not so sure that anyone took a really good dive down the hole of what other states did and what other states did right or wrong. You know, New York, its own self. I do believe that the desire to do right by previously incarcerated people or Uh underserved communities was very great. Unfortunately, you can't give people golden tickets without capital. And so it takes two. And I think that has been a real miss. I'm hoping that that will be fixed in the months to come. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're asking a government and government in general is very slow and behind the times and doesn't see things coming down the pike, nor do they understand business, is that their reaction to the reality is very slow. You're talking a brand new division of people that have never been in policing. They've never been in business. And you're asking them to build a brand new division that brings in tax revenues for the state and giving out licenses with unclear what their past has allowed them to really learn and bring to this. And so it's been a bit of a clusterfuck. Yeah. But, you know, am I surprised? No. <laughs> exactly. The only surprise <laughs> is if you're surprised. Right. Tell me about your own journey about the licensing process. I mean, I guess how you know saw the opportunity, decided you wanted to get into this space. Like, how did you go from kind of interest to actually working through the license process, how you're going to approach it, like what resources do you need to pull together, team, like how did that actually play out for you? Yeah, I mean, once we saw that we were going to create this vision that we had, you know, I really didn't want to put the cart before the horse. So we spent some money on how to build a brand, what it was going to look like, and then applied for this license. We partnered with Strive, which is a nonprofit organization that has done an incredible job for decades of working with underserved communities as well as people that have previously been incarcerated. I mean, the people that have gone through their program that has been previously incarcerated, 70% of them don't go back to jail. I mean, that's yeah. pretty powerful. It's in a great organization. The people are fabulous. So I'm thrilled that they were willing to partner with us. Mm-hmm. And they are the beneficiaries of this organization in this particular store. And that is how we were able to get a license. But a lot of it is, you know, crossing your fingers and hoping you're going to get it. I mean, we just applied for two more licenses on October 4th. The state isn't going to release those licenses supposedly until the end of January, early February. And we're paying, you know, rent on two leases. Jeez. So, you know, that's disturbing. There will be other ways that we could probably keep those leases through other opportunities, but it's expensive and it's not easy. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the brand. I mean, you mentioned that you wanted to kind of figure out the brand before you got too involved in the licensing process. I guess, how do you think about brands in general? And then how does this apply to cannabis, given where we are, both from a kind of culture and kind of legal framework? Yeah, I mean, our brand is very unique. We are a concept store with cannabis as a backdrop. I felt very strongly about that because I think we need to change the narrative around cannabis. Okay. It is a lifestyle just because, you know, you should be able to go into a store and, you know, buy cannabis and 
let's say it's for sleeping and buy eye mask and, you know, maybe CBD for your pain and then a great blanket to put over yourself. I mean, it should be like that. I mean, even when you go to Europe and you buy liquor, you Mm -hmm. can go to these phenomenal stores. They have cheese, they have sweets, they have savory condiments, they've got liquor and they have all these things. And why don't we have that in this country? Very simple. From lobbyists. And to me, you know, it is short-sighted because if you allowed that to happen, I bet you those alcohol companies would actually do better than they think they would. And so to me, being able to do this is so different versus there will be a lot of dispensaries that are local, just like your local, you know, dry cleaner or your local cobbler. And I think that's important too. So what we're trying to do is really create a large brand that is very unique from our delivery to our merchandising, to our cannabis, to our conversational with our bud tenders that really know the product well. So it's really, you know, a high-end luxury experience that we all deserve. Yeah. And does this come from your other business backgrounds? I mean, I guess how much of this strategy is things you've learned in previous kind of segments or previous kind of retail concepts that you're kind of reapplying? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's just like, you know, all the dots connect. I started out in retail in my life Mm -hmm. and then went onward into investing in businesses, growing businesses. I mean, I've had like such a career. And so I think it's a combination of all of it. And I think I see the importance of retail will always be important, but people have to feel that it's a place they want to return to, that they feel it's part of their community, that they're like, oh my God, you know what? I'm going to someone's house for dinner. I know I can just pop in there and get something for the guest. Or, you know, oh my God, they just had that new line come in that I saw on their website and I want to go see it in person because they're the only company in the entire country that carries it. So it's all those little things that I rethink about retail, which was my first job. Yeah. And I look at department stores and chains and I think, Mm -hmm. God, why are you still trying to recreate what you did in 1980? (laughs) So what do you think are sort of the challenges when it comes to kind of branding and retail experience in cannabis? You know, we've got Many states that have been kind of doing this for a little while, you've got a couple of brands that have quite done well, both within states and multi-states, and then some of those retail concepts that have kind of played out. I mean, I guess, where do you feel cannabis is in terms of developing solid brands and retail experiences? I think there is so much in flux. You look at all of these multi-state operators, many that are publicly traded on the Canadian stock market. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of them go into a big hole and never return. Yeah. I believe that many of those brands are not great. Branding's not great. The products are not great. They've spent so much capital. I don't see how they're ever going to be profitable. And I think we're going to see, unfortunately, the demise of the first generation of all of these brands. Mm -hmm. And so where do we fit into that that's something unique and different as we hope that this will be federally legal by the time this is even aired. (laughs) And also, what does that do and how does that change the game? I don't think anybody has any idea. But if you can build a brand with loyalty and interest that people feel that you're cutting edge and you have your finger on the pulse, I don't think you'll ever find yourself in a bad situation. And what do you think they're getting wrong? I mean, is this 
kind of specific kind of brand mistakes or retail mistakes, or is this something specific to cannabis that they're not picking up on? I don't think it's cannabis. I mean, okay. cannabis is the content. Yeah. The branding and the customer experience. And I mean, even when we deliver, and we're just starting our delivery business internally, mm-hmm. you get this beautiful box and a card. And, you know, it's this wonderful experience, just like you used to get at the beginnings of Net-A-Porter, where, yeah. you know, you would untie this beautiful bow, and you'd have this beautiful product inside, and you felt special. You know, yeah. I don't want someone just like giving me a bag, then like filled with, with shit, <laughs> you know, I mean, and I I, don't, I think most people, it doesn't matter your age, like you want to be mm-hmm. treated that you're spending your money with us and we're giving you the best experience we possibly can. Yeah. Do you think that's, I guess, how New York specific do you feel that is or that your brand is? And would this transfer to Chicago or to Tennessee or, you know, Nashville or something like how New York is this? We had a CGS, the Cannabis Growers Showcase in Hudson. Uh-huh. And of course, that will be over end of this year, mm-hmm. and which is unfortunate because I think it will take a couple months, if not by second quarter, that a lot of these new licensees that came back from the card licenses are going to be reopening. Yeah. And once again, we're screwing these farmers. But we had tremendous success in Hudson. People couldn't have been happier that we were there. We definitely ran a profitable business there. We had to repeat customers weekend after weekend. So, you know... I do feel that's a very more urban customer in Hudson, even though they're living upstate. I think the brand that we are building could play in any urban area, but it could also play in secondary cities where maybe we're not as grand or large, but you have to remember who the customer is. I mean, if we have a store, we have two leases that we're holding now one is in Brooklyn, one is in literally in the Chelsea area, that's a very different customer. And you should be buying products based on that customer, not just like, okay, we got this item, let's just ship it to all the stores. Yeah. Bruce Eckfeld here. Are you a founder or CEO looking to grow and scale your business? Are you feeling stuck and struggling to get to the next level? Maybe your leadership team is just not aligned and lacking accountability. I can help. I work with companies to craft highly effective and scalable growth strategies and create high-performance leadership teams to execute on them. Using my unique combination of frameworks and tools from Scaling Up, Metronomics, 3HAG, Lean and Agile, and my own experience as a founder and CEO of an Inc. 500 company, I help teams accelerate their growth, increase profitability, and dramatically reduce risk and drama as we go. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help, Check out my website at Eckfelt.com or email me at Bruce at Eckfelt.com. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T.com. Now on to the episode. So let's talk about that in terms of the, kind of the products that you see currently on the market, what you hope gets developed, and how you're kind of sort of segmenting the, the current cannabis customer and where do you feel that's going in terms of you know growth of different types of customers, new people kind of getting interested, involved in cannabis, even Maybe a separate question is kind of looking at the illicit market and kind of getting people into the legal market. I guess, how do you look at strategy, brand strategy, product strategy, and then the customer segments? I mean, as we're starting to look at marketing for the year ahead, we ran a really great marketing program recently. And I think that our next marketing program should very much geared towards something that the state doesn't seem to be capable of doing, although they talk about it which they're hoping to do once they bring in the taxes. So it's really, you know, like, is it that, you know, does the chicken come before the egg or what have you, is that 
people don't know. People don't know that Empire is completely illegal and their products are not grown in New York. They're not paying their taxes like all of us for our products, which are why our products are more expensive. But at least you know where you're getting them. And so you know that they've been signed off by the state. You know that they're not moldy. You know that there are not bad shit in there. And to me, that's worth every penny to know that I'm consuming something that I'm not going to get sick from. And so I don't think there is a very well done narrative from the state to let consumers know. And I do fear that something is going to come in one of these stores and some kids are going to buy it because that's who's buying it and something's going to happen. And unfortunately, the way that New York has been set up, when you have someone like Eric Adams saying, hey, I can close these stores down in 30 days. Of course he could. But the problem is you have to deal with the Office of Cannabis Management. And even Hochul has to deal with the Office of Cannabis Management. And so it's been set up in a way that in many ways our government officials are hamstrung to do anything. And then there's the fear that all of these dispensaries that have been set up with black and brown perhaps found owners, you know, that we don't want to do bad by them because then you're going back to like, you know, systemic racism. But the reality is who has the money behind these people? Follow the money. Is it a bank? Is it Chinese, wealthy Chinese money? I don't know the answer, but they've got to get over that. And they've got to close these stores because they are bad for the consumers of New York State. Yeah, yeah. I guess, how do you view the illicit market at this point? I mean, is this something that you're trying to target and get people into the legal market? Do you feel like it's always just going to be there? These The folks that use the illicit market just want a different product, different price points. They're not interested in the same kind of quality or retail experience. Or I guess, where do you view that kind of transition or, or the objectives around that? When people have asked me, what is it that surprised you about doing this? And my answer is always like, pretty much nothing <laughs> except for who would have thought my biggest competitor is the yeah. three to 4,000 illegal stores in this state. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. And the process that we have for actually, you know, addressing that, I guess, shutting them down. I guess, I mean, I know they've tried various kind of strategies and getting landlords and stuff involved. I mean, are these things working, not working? Like, what do you think they should be doing differently? I don't really think they're working because they open up immediately. I also feel that when we look at fines, Fines are all relative to how much you are willing to take the pain. Yeah. So some people might say, fuck it, I'm going to park my car here. If I get a ticket, I don't give a shit. I'll pay the $250, right? Fines should be so huge that any landlord would fear it. $10,000, whatever. Yeah. If it was $250,000, they people would be start doing people would start to do things, or if those stores are now getting fined two hundred fifty thousand dollars a day for being open, and the tickets pile up, they would not be open, right? They should close them down. They should lock them up. They should immediately find the landlords. And by the way, if those landlords have mortgages on those buildings, they should let the mortgages know because no bank. Not one wants to give a mortgage, gives a rental license to someone who is in the cannabis business until it becomes federally legal. And so they haven't. I mean, $10,000 is a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Rounding error for a lot of these companies. Exactly. I mean, looking at some of these other markets, I'm kind of curious on 
you know, structural, the state market sort of structure, where do you feel we are in terms of figuring out some of these things? So, you know, New York has its model. We've got some of the legacy ones in out west and Colorado. We've got some of these new markets, which are, you know, both limited license and then, you know, really open license. I mean, what do you feel, I guess, is there any market that is particularly interesting to you or structure that's interesting to you, areas that you're looking to expand in at some point? How do you view that? I mean, right now we're all New York, right? Mm-hmm. In a perfect world, you could see us as the next generation of an MSO, not getting the vertically integrated licenses because yep. I just want to be in direct the consumer business. Uh-huh. But you know, you could go into other states where they've had tremendous failures, like California, yep. and you can buy these licenses at this point from people that were not able to make a profit, yep. that didn't know what they were doing, but they do own this license. And if they can sell for a certain amount of money, you know what? You've changed their lives, and I'm down with that. And so, you know, we're not there yet, but I'm sure at one point we will be. Yeah. I'm curious on your own kind of you know, leadership, I mean, given the vast kind of business experience you've had, you know, coming into this market, what have you decided in terms of your role and focus versus the team you've put around you? Like, where have you learned kind of your superpower? And where have you figured out how to find other people that have those capabilities? And how have you approached that in the cannabis space? I mean, I've really approached this as a startup business. You know, I think about low hanging fruit. I think about partnerships that know what that I have learned from other businesses. I mean, we're really thinking about this business as cannabis might be our content, but we are thinking about how do we integrate this into a variety of different ways as we build a brand. Like we want a known brand. And that's why we have private label Gotham products. And that mm-hmm. is why we have really interesting merchandise on the floor. And that's why we're very curated around the cannabis products that we bring in. And so we're looking this more of a next generation retail store. Yeah. So give us a little kind of virtual tour or audio tour here of the store and kind of give us a sense of what you've put in place, how it might be different from other cannabis dispensaries and even just retail in general. Like someone coming in the store, what would they notice? What would they see? Well, the first time they would come in, they would see on the left-hand side a huge David Shrigley videotape of people passing a joint, which is hilarious. You would check in at our concierge, and then you would walk into the store, and you would see this beautiful tree by the artist Molly Lowe that sits in the middle of the store with a bench around it like you were sitting in Central Park, but actually the tree is based on the oldest tree in New York, which happens to be in Washington Square Park. And you would sit at that thing, and you could watch the customers come in, or you could shop for your can-adjacent products, or you could shop for a phenomenal candle, or you could see some fantastic glasses that would be for wine, or you could create great t-shirts or super cool hats or amazing blankets. And then you decide, okay, well, I've made those purchases. Now I'm going to go into the back area where there are case lines where you can talk to salespeople about what you're looking for exactly in your cannabis journey. And then upstairs from there, there's a small mezzanine that we call the Mez, which is constantly being reinstalled. Not only do we have events up there, but like right now, we have artist Stephanie Burks, who just did an installation up there. We'll continue to have different artists that we work with or different kinds of events up there so that, you know, we can sell people what we're thinking and where we think things are going. Yeah. I guess how much do you 
guess or how much do you know in terms of your customers coming in are you know really local folks you know that live around the corner or they're coming here to getting their product you know kind of broader new york folks that are coming in for more of a unique experience versus kind of tourists you know people that are happy to be visiting new york from other parts of the us or the world and you know want to come see the store and have some experience you know check things out i guess what's your breakdown and where would you like your breakdown i don't really know the breakdown to be perfectly honest but certainly we are catering to the local customer but we've had tons of people come in the store who've read about us who've heard about us from other cities other countries we've had a lot of celebrities and sports figures sports figures that have ordered from us for delivery and so are casting a large net. I mean, even if you're coming from, you know, another state and you love our merchandise, like you can go online and you can have it still at home. You know, no, we can't send you cannabis, but we can certainly send you our fabulous products. Yeah. I guess, where do you see this market going? We're still kind of working through some of the licensing stuff in New York. How do you see the New York market growing? How do you see the federal market growing? I mean, you sounded pretty bullish on federal legalization. I mean, how does that play into your vision for the cannabis market? Well, if it's federally legal, I think we're going to see a watershed of different things happen. First of all, every single bank and credit card and POS company is going to jump in the game probably within five minutes of it being announced. And I think that's super interesting. We are seeing lawsuits already for people that want to ship cross state. Yeah. What is that going to look like? I mean, I really want to support farmers that are in our state. You've had these people spend tons of capital and then to turn around and say, oh, by the way, we could buy from California. Now it's legal. Like that's just not the right thing to do. And so I think you have to be very thoughtful about how you carry what you carry, being true to the state and city that you're in. And I mean, I don't think any of this is going to settle down for a couple of years to figure out where exactly we're going. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little unclear. On, I mean, even if we get federal rescheduling or descheduling, I mean, certainly states are going to keep a lot of their structure in place. They don't want to, I mean, they've invested a lot in these licenses and, yes. and their license holders have invested a lot in the businesses. I mean, I guess, what do you think that future looks like? Is it, I mean, is it similar to alcohol or something in terms of you've got these kind of boards who kind of control things on a state and regional level or like what's the model? What? We're going to continue with the Office of Cannabis Management. I mean, if you look at New York State and the liquor, I don't think there's many people that even oversee all liquor in the state at this point, right? It just becomes, it's like an old school business. Yeah. But, you know, eventually I would hope that it would be a little more seamless. You know, I think once they decide this many licenses out there, there will be another market of repurchasing those licenses from those people that weren't able to make it work. There will be 50 stores maybe that open in a month and three of them will succeed. Yeah. I'm curious about some of these products. I mean, we're the big products these days still are, you know, flour and pre-rolls and, you know, some concentrates and stuff and edibles. But, you know, we've got these kind of new things coming on, particularly the beverage market. And then we've got these potential licenses for consumption lounges and things. I guess, how do you see, I mean, do you see cannabis having this kind of public social component in these consumption lounges, you know, and starting to compete with alcohol and bars? Where do you see that going? Well, that is a great question. I mean, the the drinks are doing great. I will tell you that concert arenas, their sale of alcohol is down by 20, 25% because people are coming in with their gummies or their products to smoke, what have you not. So that Uh needs to change. But in a perfect world, if you said to me, 
what kind of store do you want to open up with cannabis? You know, I would open a huge store where there is shopping and there are readings and there is a restaurant where you can get a drink and you can actually go into a certain area and smoke and drink and eat. I mean, the mm-hmm. one of the best things that Bloomberg ever did, and there is so many things he did as a mayor, <laughs> which is kind of amazing because if a mayor can get one or two things done in their yeah. tenure, they're fabulous. But he basically changed indoor smoking for the entire world. Yeah. And so I don't think we're going to go back to just, you know, bars full of weed. Yeah. But you can vape. <laughs> There's no smoke, you know. Yeah. You can take an edible. You can drink a drink. And, you know, at one point I would think that we would be the providers even of psilocybin products that maybe there's just one area where we carry those psilocybin products. You need a prescription to get them or mm-hmm. not. And so I think that will be an extension. But, you know, again, I would love to see those Parisian-type stores around alcohol exist in our city, and I find it very frustrating that they don't. But they do exist when you go to Whole Foods in California. They're selling wine in their stores and liquor, not in our stores in New York. Yeah, yeah. And big plans for 2024? Anything on your kind of strategic roadmap here that you want to tell us about or give us hints on? I mean, we hope to open two more stores if, and grow our delivery business and grow our direct-to-consumer business in 2024. I think it's going to be a banner year. Excellent. John, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Gotham, what's the best way to get that information? We are at gotham.nyc. And that is where you can deliver your products or buy products or read about products. And, you know, you can find me at gothamgal.com, which is a blog that I write. And, you know, we're located at 3 East 3rd Street on the Bowery. Excellent. I'll make sure all that information is in the show notes. Joanne, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. It's been great. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.